Father, thank you for our worship today. It is only because of your dear son and his vicarious substitutionary death on the cross. He died in our place, bore the wrath we deserved and gives to us the righteousness that Christ achieved. Father, our hearts are bowled over by love today. And I pray that we can, in the next few moments, grab some clarity of thought as we venture to study your word and here again see the magnificent love of God. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. It's difficult to know what you will do until you're pressed into a corner. That's the time that your real character is revealed. Volodymyr Oleksandrovich Zelensky, sixth president of Ukraine, has been pushed into a corner. And I don't know all about his character, but I am amazed at his courage. 44 years old, former actor and comedian, and he's serving in the party that is called the Servant of the People, which is named after his popular Ukrainian TV series. I wish we had a party, the Servant of the People. When offered a ride out of his country that was threatened by a ruthless tyrant from the north, he said, I don't want a ride, I need ammunition. Amazing courage. It was almost 3,500 years ago that another dictator, equally as ambitious and bloodthirsty as Mr. Putin, declared to a people who had lived in relative safety and peace in Egypt. I'm talking about the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself. Said that now we must eliminate the Hebrews or they will overtake us. And a decision was made to enslave the people. We need a little background, and you can find it in the book of Exodus chapter 1. We'll eventually get back to Hebrews, but Exodus chapter 1 tells us, Now Joseph and all his brothers died. This is about verse 6. But during that time, the Hebrew people became extremely fruitful in the land. They kept multiplying and filled the land. And a new king, a pharaoh, Rose, who knew not Joseph. The NIV says, to whom Joseph meant nothing. You remember, Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt and served well, and the people loved him and honored him as next to Pharaoh. Let us deal shrewdly, the king, the Pharaoh said, or they will become more numerous than us. And when our enemies come, they will side with them and we will be defeated. So they put masters over them and oppressed them with forced labor. The slide just before this one is a picture of an obelisk 
Archaeologists have found obelisks like this with hieroglyphics written on them talking about this very scene. In fact, in one mural showing slaves working, there are two superior officers over them. And what are they making? Bricks. This has been uncovered by the spade of the archaeologists. And written in the hieroglyphics are these words, work without fainting. And we don't need the archaeologists to prove the Bible, but it's fun when they support the Bible, and they always do. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And so Pharaoh came up with a new policy, infanticide. He said to the Hebrew people, or excuse me, the Hebrew midwives, he said, now when you give, uh, you're assisting the women giving birth, if it's a boy, you are to kill him, and if it's a girl, you can let her live. I love the answer the midwives gave to Pharaoh at first. You need to, uh, you know, enter in and stop this by killing the boys, and they said, these Hebrew women, they're, they're so quick to give birth that we can't even get in there in time, which I don't think was probably true, but... Maybe in some cases it might have been. And they took a stand. Look at verse 17. This is Exodus uh, chapter 1 and verse 17. The Hebrew, or excuse me, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do, and they let the boys live. The first heroines of the Bible are these amazing midwives. Saying no to a terrible tyrant is not an easy thing to do, but they were staunchly pro-life and would not give in. We're told that obeying government leaders can be a tricky thing and has its limits, for we must obey God rather than man, and there's a time when we must say no to the government when God has clearly said do something else. I think that time is going to be more evident in our country in the near future. But that's the setting. So when you get into Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And now, zoom ahead to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 23. And here it is, at least partially on the screen for you. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. This verse has nothing to do with the faith of Moses, except eventually the impact of it. This is all about his parents. Who are these people, the parents of Moses? Well, we were told in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, that a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. So they're Levites, and that's the tribe, of course, given the responsibility of ordering and directing the worship of Israel. We're told in Exodus chapter 6, their names. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed. 
So Amram and Jochebed. By the way, it's a rather interesting thing. He married his aunt, which in the very next book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus, is clearly forbidden, which is exactly what Abraham did in marrying his half-sister, which in the book of Leviticus is clearly forbidding, showing the unfolding revelation of God. In time, more light comes and more truth is known. And after the laws of Mount Sinai, it's a different world. But here they are, married in slavery. Common folk, we wouldn't even know their name if it wasn't for their son. They're not famous like Abel or Enoch or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob or Joseph. Some of the ones that we've already seen in the book as heroes of the faith. They're regular people, but get this, by faith... Moses' parents, they were regular people with real faith. Which makes this an amazing story. I know sometimes I read the Bible, and you do too, and we talk about Elijah, and we talk about Abraham, and we talk about Moses, and somewhere underlying our consciousness, we're saying to ourselves, yeah, but they're heroes. They're mighty people. Now you got a couple common folk just regular people married in the midst of slavery, godly folk living in terrible times. Does that sound familiar? It's also amazing to me that they continue to have children married in slavery. And the edict went out from Pharaoh to kill all the boys and they continue to have children. I'll never forget when I was growing up, this is in the late 60s, and I had a good friend named Tim, and I was at his house, and his mother came in, and we were doing something, and I don't know how we got on the topic, but I'll never forget what she said. She said, if I had realized the world was going to be this bad, end of the 60s, <laughs> I never would have had children. And Tim is sitting right there. I'm thinking, oh, Wow. My mom may be thinking it, but at least she never articulated it. Moses' parents said, oh no, we're still going to have kids in terrible days. But what's going to happen to them? Who knows? But the command was be fruitful and multiply. They embraced that command and they went forward, even in slavery. And that's when their faith became active. Real faith always becomes active faith. And it says in chapter 11, verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. How do you, how do you hide a little baby from crying, from being noticed, I imagine other parents gave their kids up, but not Amram and Jochebed. But there was another reason. Not only did they not want to kill their child or give their child up so that he could be killed. The scripture says in verse 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. 
And the same thing was said back in Exodus chapter 2, using the phrase in English, fine child. Very interesting Greek word, only found twice in the New Testament, and it seems to mean beautiful. Now think about that. They saw that their child was beautiful, and they act according. What parent doesn't think their child's beautiful? I've seen the ugly, ugliest babies embraced as the most beautiful in the world. There has to be something more than just physical beauty. And that's why it's translated no ordinary child. It may be that they thought God had some special purpose for their son. And that took faith. Jewish tradition, along with Josephus, says that Amram was obeying a vision in which God told him that his son would deliver his people. Now, we don't know that to be true, but it's possible. John Calvin added, some sort of mark of excellence to come was engraved on the boy, which gave them promise of an extraordinary future. Who knows, but by faith, they hid the child. And it might have been the hope, gripped by hope, that God was going to do something with this boy if it was his will. And then we read in chapter 11, verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Not afraid. It's interesting that the midwives feared God, so they were not afraid of the king's edict. And these people who had faith in God, in the same way, feared God, the great king, more than the lesser kings of this world. And that's what you've got to decide. What are you going to do? Whom are you going to fear? And when you fear God, his word becomes predominant. His word is the last word, and everything is measured by his word. And that's when you say to tyrants and kings, no. Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. But that takes amazing courage. What was their faith? Well, it has to be chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for the one who comes to God must believe, what's the first thing? That he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you living for the reward that God gives? And so the parents who believed in this God who exists with all of their heart could not give their child over to death, but also saw by hope and faith that somehow God could use him and their faith would be rewarded. And so they went to amazing extremes to honor God by faith. So they had a faith that was real and they had a faith that was active. 
And they had a faith that was courageous. We'll get to the last one in a minute. They knew the danger and acted in spite of it, somehow hoping that their little child would be spared. They came up with a plan. It's interesting, chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 3 says, when they could no longer hide their child, age three months, they'd been doing the best they could, couldn't hide him anymore, and they had to give him up. Don't you think that was hard? Hiding him in their own home was one thing. Giving him up was another thing. And sometimes we think that faith means I walk through this world without a plan. But that's not the case. Faith rests on logic and truth. So they put together, their faith put together a reasonable plan. They made a basket and covered it with pitch, with tar. And then they placed the child in the basket and took him down to the banks of the Nile River and placed the child in the reeds. Now some Bible teachers believe that this is akin to placing a child at the doorstep of an orphanage. Hoping that someone will take them and care for them when you no longer can. But they also put Miriam, his sister, his older sister, at a distance, observing all that was going on, like a lookout. Faith is not foolhardy. I I love reading the book of Nehemiah where it says, you know, they prayed to God and put their swords on their belts. That's the way you, you do it. Oliver Cromwell used to tell his soldiers, trust in God and keep your powder dry. And so they put their child in this basket and put him in the reeds and Miriam was a lookout. And Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, I think as she usually did with her attendants and they must have known something of this. A well-placed basket and a well-placed spot with a well-conceived plan undergirded by faith. And as she's walking by the riverbank, she sees the basket, opens it up, sees the baby, notices it's the Hebrew. But it says that she had compassion on the child. She was wooed as the child cried. And the daughter of Pharaoh had a different heart than Pharaoh himself. By the way, history tells us that this Pharaoh had about 60 daughters. Hard to know which one this was, but apparently there was one of the good ones in the midst of the bunch. And not knowing what they were doing, walking by faith, not by sight, Amram and Jochebed were working hand in hand with the plan and providence of God. And that is so exciting. When you walk by faith, you are corresponding your life. You're connecting your life to the wonderful, amazing plan of God. And so the scripture tells us that Miriam, who had her lines well rehearsed, came up to the daughter of Pharaoh and said, would you like me to get a Hebrew woman to care for the child? And she said, that's a great idea. So 
So she went and found Jochebed and said, come, have I got something for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says, I want you to take the child and nurse him and I will pay you to do it. Most of you mothers would be a mother for no pay, but it wouldn't be great if someone said, I'll pay you to do it. And so then the scripture tells us that this Moses, who was saved by the faith of his parents, was now nurtured by the faith of his parents for a period of years. We don't know exactly how long, but it was during this time that he would have learned about the stories, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Jochebed, they would, she would have told her young boy about the wonderful stories of the prime minister who used to rule in Egypt, and he was one of us. They taught Moses he was a member of the human, of the Hebrew race. Human race too, but the Hebrew race. And they taught him to fear God. Psalm 34, verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of God. There, that's the marching Order. Those are the marching orders for every parent. Come, my children, listen, and I will teach you the fear of God. I don't know when Moses became conscious of a call to deliver the Hebrew people, but I really believe the seed for that call was planted deep in his soul during those days when Jochebed was nurturing her son. All because of faith. What a great reward. Times were tough. But then it says in verse 10, when the child got older, did you notice two weanings here? When they could no longer hide the child, put him in the river. Now when he grew older, she had to take him to the king's daughter because that was the plan. That's what was agreed upon. I'll never forget a statement that Warren Worsby made years ago that life is a series of weanings. Those that we're closely attached to taken away. Jobs gone. Health non-existent. Life is a series of weanings. And when we're separated from what we lean upon, God gives us something in its place. And of course, he's always there. No child likes to be weaned. They're still dependent on their mom, but so it was. I don't know the age, whether it was five or whether it was 12. Whether Moses stayed with his mom for five years or seven years or, or 12 years or whether at some point taken into the court of Pharaoh with the mom still visiting. But I do know this, that the parents taught him faith and to fear God. And Acts chapter 7 tells us Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Which, by the way, just another aside, when Moses was called to deliver the people, he told God that he couldn't speak. And yet the record seems to indicate he was pretty good. 
educated now in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So I see his parents' faith, the, the real faith, the active faith, the courageous faith. But now notice the faith that is transmitted. The faith that was deep in their hearts, but now given to their son. In one sense, faith is not a transferable commodity. No man shall redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. You cannot save anyone else. Faith cannot be transferred through the DNA. Faith is a gift of God. We cannot rest on nor borrow from the faith of others. In one sense, but in another sense, faith usually comes to our soul through a, the influence of a godly life. And most every believer in here, when I say that, will think of two or three people that impacted your life, right? That made all the difference. And maybe it was mom and dad. Actually, faith the home should be the first school of faith with the wonderful responsibility that parents have. Their faith became his faith. And what an encouragement this is for parents who are trying to raise up kids in this godless age. Attempting to instill in them the fear of God so that they might stand against a wicked world that is trying to squeeze you into its wicked mold. Well, it's going to take courage to say no. It's going to take more than, more than the courage you have and I have. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit in us. A radically changed soul by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit and then the Spirit continuing no job is more challenging, no task more crucial than parents instilling the faith in their kids. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that parents are to raise their children in the nurture, the training of the Lord. And that's exactly what Amram and Jochebed did. You say, I don't have any kids. Come to Awana. And find some. I'm serious. Adopt some. Somewhere instill your faith. Get close enough so you can instill your faith in a hungry, tender heart. You say, well, I don't want to influence people. I'll just let these kids make up their own mind. How stupid can you be? I mean, seriously, that's really dumb. Because someone is going to influence that child. It might as well be the word of God, right? That's our job. Parents have great power and an immense responsibility to instill the faith in their kids. And you cannot measure your progress by your present position. I think of mothers with little kids. You know, you talk to them one day, how you doing? I'm just trying to survive till bedtime. And then I do this again. 
It's a war of attrition. I'm spinning my wheels. I'm not making any progress. No, no, don't measure your influence from your present post. Because wherever faith is honored, it is powerfully felt. And your faith is not seen in one generation. Your faith will be seen in future generations at God, as God changes the world. The influence of your faith can be greater than you ever imagined. Just ask Amrad, Amran, and Jochebed. Moses was fortunate to have believing parents with genuine faith. And so is every child that grows up in a home where God is loved and faith is real. It's not perfect. You might feel unqualified, and you are. Untrained, and you probably are. Undergifted and unworthy to be this thing called a parent. It's amazing to me how you can't have almost any job in the world without some training, but you can be a parent. But you know, God Almighty thinks that those are excellent qualifications because when you are nothing, he can be everything, right? He's going to let you fall on your face until you realize, I cannot do this. But every godly person who has influenced our world, every hero of the faith, and all of them found in Hebrews 11, most of those can point back to godly parents without the qualifications who had real faith, courageous faith, faith that moved them to act, and they made sure their faith was transmitted to others. I heard a preacher one time say, my mother practices what I preach. I wish I practiced what I preached all the time. And that's the goal. It's a horrible thing to preach one thing and not practice it. But there are those people who practice what I preach far better than I. And I want to get close to them so that their faith can rub off on me. Just being in the atmosphere of faith encourages your faith. That's why, as was read this morning from Hebrews 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are doing. Because we need each other. And the home Needs par need parents of faith. Every home does. So that we can influence the world to come. The next time we study the book of Hebrews, we'll look at the faith of Moses, but don't forget where it came from. Simple, common people who feared God more than anything else. Let's pray. Father, we worship you today on Communion Sunday and are moved deeply by your love to us. You are the one who has ordained that a man should leave his parents and a woman hers and they come together and become one and have a family. It doesn't work in every situation. Lord, you know that sin has broken this world. But the wonderful responsibility is still given to parents 
to train up their children in the way they should go so that when they are old, they'll not depart. Oh God, I pray for the parents of South Church and even more generally for any godly parent anywhere in the world that they would not grow weary in well-doing for in due season they shall reap if they faint not. Oh, Lord, help us to see that we can have an amazing influence on others if we know you and we walk with you and we share you with those closest to us. Oh, God, anoint our parents with wisdom and strength and courage and faith and perseverance so that you can do mighty things through the generations of this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>